Hi, welcome to the Catch the Tornado podcast. Julien Lemoin, the co-founder and CTO at Algolia, an enterprise search software company, is an entrepreneur passionate about software development, product development, and algorithmics. In this episode, Marcus Lawrence speaks to Julian about building a development team at a huge scale, the ever-changing role of the CTO in a fast-growing company, leadership struggles, as well as Algolia's search technology and how this search engine positions itself against its heavy competition. Julian also gives his view on how Algolia's technology helps businesses grow, generate profit, and increase conversion rates by helping customers find exactly what they're looking for very quickly. Tune in. Welcome to a new episode of the B-Commerce podcast. We're talking about search technology today. So what is the first company you think if you heard search technology? Are you thinking of big players in the US? For sure. I'm thinking about Algolia, a search and recommendation engine found from Julien Lemont in France. Algolia raised 150 millions in the Series D founding at a post-money valuation of 2.25 billion. That's totally impressive. I'm really thrilled to announce that we have Julien today with us as the second part of the CTO to CTO French connection after Benoit from Akineo. We will talk about how to scale an engineering team, trends around the search technology, and so on and so forth. Julien is CTO of Algolia, one of the world's leading search softwares company, scaled a team from over 250 employees in seven different offices. But Julien, please introduce yourself. Hello. So yes, I'm Julien. I started as a, as a software engineer. I actually started in a research center working on text mining and, um, and natural language processing technologies. And after working in research, I wanted to have something more applied with real customer instead of a patent or a publication. So I joined a, a startup um, very quickly when I started to work. And this startup was working on search engine technology. So I, I worked during my whole career in, uh, in this field. And uh, after working for a few startups, I decided to, to launch Algolia with uh, one of my former co-workers. And uh, it's basically because we, we decided and we, uh, we looked at different um, companies that were struggling to have a decent search. So what we wanted to build was an hosted solution for developers to help them have a better search in their applications. Perfect. So thanks for the introduction. Um, maybe we start with the question how it started and how was it growing? I mean, you introduced a little bit how you founded it, uh, that you have a co-founder alongside. Um, but why decided you uh, especially to go with a search engine technology? Was it more done by accident or um, what was the root cause here? So at the beginning of my career, it was more by accident. Um, as I As I said, in my first uh, position, I work on, um, on text mining, data mining field, which is very close to search engine. Uh, so this one was more by accident, but, but then I really discovered a field I, I deeply love. And the decision to work um, after on startup working on search engine and actually launching a startup working on a search engine was based on all the problems that exist 
and the complexity of this field. Like search engines are quite complex and there are a lot of sub-problems to solve. So it's pretty much a domain where you can spend your whole life solving problems. You, you still have a lot of problems to solve. So it's more by like working on this field and discovering all those problems, all those um, solutions that uh, we had to build that I, I just spend all my time in, in this field. Nice. Yeah, we will come later on to that uh, point which you have to tackle by using a search engine properly and the uh, requirements you have to solve as a company or also as a tech vendor um, to that. But basically, I would be interested in, in the team. So how was the team back in the days and how you managed the team? Because actually you're running a quite big uh, company with over 250 employees, but you started with two. So how was the development and how do, did you manage to scale the team back in the days? Yeah, actually, we are more than 500 today, but... Um, the, for the first year, we were only two, like the two founders. And in the first year, like you have to build the product, prove the market fit, like, and it's better to do that in a, in a very small team. So it was 2012, 13, end of 14, we were 10, 10 people. When we reached like the first million of revenue for, for the company, And we grew very quickly from those 10 people. We were 60 two, two years after in 2016, 300 in 2018. And, and today we are just a bit above 500. That's totally amazing. Yeah, it's, it's quite challenging to hire and, and keep, um, keep the, the culture and keep a, a good momentum as you scale. One of the best advice we got from one of our seed investors very early was to very quickly get an internal recruiting team. And it was kind of counterintuitive where we are so small, like, as I mentioned, we, we were like before 10 people when we got our first um, advice to hire someone, but it can be justified very quickly. As soon as you hire more than 10 people in a year, It's, it's justified and it's game changer because you have someone that is inside the company and they can really talk about the company way better than any like agency that help you uh, hiring when they are not part of your team. Yeah, absolutely. I can uh, totally underline that. I mean, e even from the financial uh, figures, if you're paying um, headhunters or something like that, you're just paying uh, in Germany at least a fee from 25 till 30 percent of the year salary. So if you hire 10 people a year, um, basically you have more or less a payoff and you have somebody who can, can transport the culture directly to the, to the um, employee and those guys who are... Uh, Yeah, the further employees of your company. Maybe uh, you, you can tell us a little bit what challenges do you face over that time and how do you tackle it? Because scaling such a big team, as you mentioned, is quite challenging and uh, you have different angels, um, how you can tackle and what was the most crucial for you? Yeah, indeed, it's, it's difficult. There are a lot of challenges. The biggest one is, is culture and, and values and and keeping it while scaling so fast. So it's very important to like really rally the team under one clear objective, one mission. And it's especially hard when you have people joining with so many different backgrounds. They have different experience, different 
ideas. And even if you define your culture with words, which uh, everyone is doing, people will put a different meaning behind those words. So it's really important to share context, share example, share exactly what you mean with this culture and constantly work on it, constantly refine, constantly update. So to give you an idea, we were, and we are still doing like those one-on-one sessions on values for all new hires and explaining exactly what we mean with the culture. And what we want is, is a culture which is not words on a wall, but something which is used every single day in every decision. So making sure we stay true and, and we detect when, when it's not the case and we can fix it. So it's very deep investments and it's something where you need to work on it like pretty much every single day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Culture is a totally important topic and we discussed that also with Benoit from Macineo. He was also mentioning that culture is the utmost important thing uh, that you have, have to shape uh, for a company like that. Pretty interesting. Now you have over 500 employees, like you mentioned, and seven offices worldwide. And um, how was your role changing, basically? I guess you have absolutely different roles and challenges nowadays than back in the days. Oh, yes, of course. And in a fast-growing company, like my role changes every six months, pretty much. And when I mean change, it's like completely different. And one of the big challenges is that you need to constantly check what are the skills you will need for this new role in, in the next six months. So in the early days, I was um, one of the main engineers working on the search engine itself, so working on the code base. And I progressively moved to a role of software architect, where I was more like looking overall at the technology, the direction, and what has to be done to, to stay relevant on the market. Of course, today I'm not coding anymore, um, and uh, I'm still spending a lot of time on like the architecture of a technical direction of the company. But I stopped to to code and to work on the code based in um, 2018, where we were around 300 people. Yeah, interesting. I can totally underline that as well, um, that you have to, to pivot your role um, and just looking in front of yourself what's coming up there and, and be ahead of the game, but at the same time be supportive as a leader to the team. And in your opinion, uh, regarding the leadership, what is your, uh, in your opinion, as a CTO, the most crucial thing by scaling an engineering team? So I think it's not only the CTO, it's the CTO and the VP of engineering. So every company have like a different repartition of the role between CTO and VP engineering. In our case, I was the one working on, on the technology, on the direction, what's the good direction in terms of technology to stay highly differentiated while Sylvain, our VP of engineering, was working on the processes and making sure like all the teams stay highly motivated. But mm. those roles can change depending also of the team and of the different profiles. So you're constantly changing the company by, by scaling it, which is absolutely valid. Um, 
what in the end needs a permanent transition into a company and uh, from your perspective how should a transition look like if you're just uh, getting an engineering team from one level to the next within the growth phase of a company or even on a technology level yeah there are a lot of transitions indeed um, and i think the key transition for a cto is to move away from coding while keeping while being close to the technology itself to ensure we are still relevant. And for me, the big responsibility of the CTO is to make sure the technology is relevant for the market's need and that it can scale with the company. So I was um, having also this CTO and CPO, Chief Product Officer, uh, at until uh, very recently. So I think Splitting those roles is also one of the very key transitions for a company. You cannot keep both ads for an infinite amount of time. And the moment you split really product and engineering is a key moment in the company where you need to split the responsibilities between two persons. So yeah, I think absolutely. for me, those have been the two big transitions. Yeah. I guess a CPO or somebody who's taking really deeply care about the product is absolutely key. Uh, and then you have a clear split, a split in the responsibilities. And there's one person who say, what are we going to build? What are the market demands? And the other person who's saying how we are going to build it with our tech team and the engineers. That makes totally sense for me. Yeah, after the, the insights about the company and the team, I'm curious to speak over search engine technology itself because everyone is today aware of search engine technology like Google. But I guess even in e-com, they are crucial for the user journey. So let's jump into search technology. Sure. Search technologies are, in my opinion, about converting traffic into revenue. You know, you get re uh, traffic on the platform, you try to, to uh, convert it into revenue by fulfilling the exact match from the search or the, the perfect match from the search. Um, and in the most cases which we are actually observing, uh, the search is underperforming. So merchants are in the end losing money here. Because well, leading brands are actually invest a lot of money in the search capabilities. They built maybe their own search stack, which is not affordable for smaller merchants. And um, they maybe have also teams to research on data with specialists. And most of the smaller merchants can't afford a tech stack like that. So what's your opinion about building search capabilities in a merchant's world about people, tech and process uh, and build versus buy approach? What would you advise a merchant who would like to set up uh, his search capabilities in the future? Yeah, that's a, a big topic. And that's actually the reason why we, we started um, Algolia. Like, we observed by doing consulting by, that companies are spending a huge amount of time to iterate on their search. And most of the time, it's just to catch up with competition. So search is so core to a lot of businesses that they need to have the control. And this is why... I think we are not anymore in this build versus buy mindset. And we are more now in a mindset of buy and build. Like people build, buy uh, an API like Algolia or they buy a service and they develop on top of it. And the key element for all the companies worldwide is to iterate faster. They want to improve their search with a, a smaller cycle 
so they can constantly improve it and make sure like they have the best conversion rate possible. And I yeah. think this is where API are really playing a, a key role because we package a lot of functionality, a lot of tools like debugging tools to at the end help developer to be more productive and have smaller cycle. Yeah, and in the end, uh, increase the, the outcome of the user journey because this is in the end where uh, the revenue is generated. And then you're able to consume those APIs from your uh, product in the end and combine it with a Unix uh, user experience in the front end, which helps the client a lot. Not focusing on things like hosting or deployment or something like that on, on the uh, technology itself. Totally got that point. From my perspective, merchants with a high set of SKUs, maybe like Amazon, have to understand the user intent and everyone wants to be user-centric today. So standard search engines are good at finding nearly exact matches like, I don't know, red lamps or something like that. AI today makes the world better and understand user intent like red desk lamp with ambient lightning, you know. Um, but This means in the end that you're semantical and uh, able to parse data. So um, the search engine has to understand the intent, slice the search term and weight the different terms, in my opinion. In our example, that means are we searching for red or are we searching for lamp and what makes the difference here? And therefore, it's crucial to have enough data in your um, PIM system or our product experience management system that you can utilize later on. And how do you actually dealing with that uh, and other requirements? And why is Algolia the most sexy to work technology here? Yes, indeed. Understanding the user intent is uh, the whole purpose of search. Uh, the goal is to understand the user intent and it can be more or less complex depending on the query. And, and keywords or AI-based machines have very different pros and cons. It's a very different uh, balance. And keyword search today is not enough anymore, um, and we have to leverage user behavior via a machine learning algorithm to pretty much fix keyword search. You mentioned Amazon, but the, the big challenge of marketplaces is that they have content which is directly written by the customer. So the data is uh, quite uh, different from one customer to another, and some even try to to play with uh, the engine and, and to be first on every query. So you have some keywords um, that are added uh, on their product to try to be first on, on pretty much every, every query. And to do that, what we do is that we use the behavior, the clicks, the conversion of users related to the query to have a direct impact on the ranking. So it's not anymore. I don't think today there is any search engine which are only relying on keyword search. All of them are enhanced with something else. And there are a lot of different approach, but most of them leverage over signals. You have like signal from the business, you have like the product that are sold the most, but you have a lot of behavior from the users, from the clicks, from the products that are bought finally by the, by the customer. And all of this is now used in the ranking. 
More recently, there is like a new type of machine learning that intends to remove all the natural language processing, the NLP layer of keyword search. And this layer is often called semantic search, even if the term is in the mm. is used since 20 years. And this is like an end-to-end -end deep learning model to completely replace the search engine. So you don't have any uh, keyword inverted list. You have directly this vector search. And those techniques provide some wow effects on some queries where like, the result is just amazing compared to a, a pure traditional keyword search. But there are other queries where the results are very poor compared to a keyword search. That's why I was mentioning like the pros and cons are very mm. different. I deeply believe we will soon see hybrid systems that will mix both, like to try to get the, the, the pros of both systems and, and get the positive effects to improve again the conversion rates for for uh, the e-commerce website because that's the ultimate goal of predicting the intent of customers. Super interesting. You mentioned NLP, so natural language processing right now. Um, what's about NLP? So um, getting the user intent about attributes in our example from, from uh, the, uh, the question before, we have things like strong outdoor lightning, meaning you're getting the connection from attributes like strong towards the data attributes in case of lamps here like Lumen or uh, the Vatage or something like that. So what is your opinion regarding NLP and where are the up and downsides for it? Yes, yeah, so NLP is very mature. It, it actually works very well. The only drawback is that to reach a very good quality, you need to spend a lot of time on it. It's most of the time specialized for one language, and you need to have some linguistic resources like synonym dictionary um, and different type of resources like word segmentation for some languages. All of that is very, um, it, it's time consuming to build it and to adapt it for a specific domain. And that's why we see this new generation of systems that intend to remove all the standard layer mm. with the goal of removing all this work, all this time-consuming work of building resources. So there is this traditional approach with NLP, which is super mature and, and very good to reach um, a very good level of quality, but it's so time-consuming to add a new language, for example, that you need to have different approach. You cannot be the best in all the languages with a traditional NLP approach. And that's why I think for the business, it's critical to be, um, to be able to also control and impact the system, so to adapt the NLP stack to your domain. Classical example is in, for example, um, Japanese. If you have a a word recognition, there is no space in the language, mm. so you need to recognize the words. But sometimes your machine learning algorithm is doing some mistake because you have proper nouns which are specific to a domain, and you need to adapt the technology to, to the domain. So that's why we will see more, I think, of those hybrid systems in the coming years that will take the best of both worlds. When you have one domain, one language, like 
English, like the, the NLP stack on English are just amazing today. But when you want to process another long language, which is quite complex, like the Korean language, actually those uh, deep learning stack uh, get a very good results because the NLP stack are, are way less mature than the one we have on English. So I think it's definitely not an easy problem to solve. Uh, search is very complex, as, um, as I mentioned before. And in an NLP stack, you have dozens of components. And that's why also this domain is, is so interesting. And, and there are still so much things to do. And, and those hybrid systems don't exist today. So there is no hybrid system that makes both approach. It's still like those deep learning systems are more in the, in the research phase today. But I think they will hit the market uh, via hybrid system in the coming years. Yeah, so there's uh, space for founders and entrepreneurs who would like to step in and maybe get an angel investment from you. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I see actually the, the, the trends uh, which are coming to Europe from Inspire and all com uh, shopping commerce and so on. So um, having content which is inspirational, um, like the, back in the days, the, the old TV shows where you sit in front of the TV and you uh, just consume something like that. Uh, today, it's more uh, pictures which we have on the table or uh, content which is in inspiring us. And from my perspective, it's super useful to extract, da extract data and information out of images because mostly you will get images, but maybe not the attribute data from that images, which is pretty hard to handle, um, maybe in case of PIM systems or something like that. Um, What is your opinion about that? Are you able to pre process uh, data like images? And uh, do you also see use cases for that? It's actually one of the great use cases of machine learning, like extracting metadata from imaging, from images, like, for example, the shape of a dress, the color and the texture, the materials. You can have a machine learning models trained specially for that. And some e-commerce websites, some marketplaces, AliExpress, the, the Chinese marketplaces, is actually leveraging those models for only for clothes today. And, and they are working quite well. The only drawback today of those systems is that they have to be very specialized to be able to deliver a great quality, like having a model dedicated to recognize the races. So you need to have a lot of models and each of them need to be highly specialized. As soon as the model is quite generalistic and try to extract metadata from any possible uh, picture, then the quality drops massively and it becomes not very useful. So you cannot really leverage it for search because the quality is too, too bad. So you have a great quality when the model is dedicated and you can leverage that, but you have to build the model. So there are a lot of companies today that are working on specialized model, and there are some uh, companies like WeSense, for example, which has great model for e-commerce on clothes, and we can leverage those data in an API like Algolia. Like we can cool. easily, because of our API approach, call the API of WeSense, get the metadata, add them in, in the records before calling API, uh, the Algolia API, 
And that's a good example of an API-first approach that gives a lot of flexibility to the developers. Absolutely. I mean, API first is actually um, in in uh, everyone's mouth, so to say. And we're actually looking API-wise mostly in terms of e-commerce from our perspective uh, on those search engines. But um, what else do you see on the market instead of e-commerce on, on that API-driven search approach? So we are actually used by a wide variety of use cases. E-commerce, of course, is the obvious one. Another obvious one is like publishing websites, social network when you search for a nickname for people, for channels and so on. But we are used also by a lot of professional software. We have a few CRM, for example, that use us to search for a company, to search for contact, to search for a deal, and, and so on. We have HR system, all those new HR systems uh, that, uh, that leverage a search engine as a core component to make the software more intuitive. We have, of course, like content management system that uses us. And the number of use cases is so huge that I, I would not be able to list all of them. Just to give an, one that surprised me um, when, when I discovered it is all the internal application we, we, um, we saw that leverage uh, the Algolia API. We have, for example, a car rental group that is rebuilding their airport agent application based on Algolia. So this nice. is a software that agents are using in airports that are quite legacy and based on terminal uh, most of the time, and they are using the search engine as a way to make it more intuitive. So there are a lot of use cases like this one, which pretty much show the, the creativity of developers. Like you can give them a tool, a powerful tool, and they will find a way to leverage it in their context. So literally, the sky is the limit here. That's super interesting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Based on my experience, basically, a search is nothing, uh, not a tool which you install, run it on production without touching it. So you have to constantly work on the data from the back end to get the right results based on the perfect data, integrate it to the front end for a super user experience and so on and so forth. So how you integrate uh, search probably with the dimensions such as process people and technologies uh, that have to be considered, in my opinion? Well, definitely, like one of the characteristics is that everything changes, like the user habit changes, the data changes, everything is constantly changing. So even if you tune your engine for something specific, everything will be different in a few months. One of the big changes uh, that happened in the last years is that machine learning models reduce a lot the amount of effort to constantly iterate on the relevance, like leveraging the user behavior signals, as I mentioned, help to reduce the amount of efforts. So you don't have to work on all the queries. You can, for example, um, just check the, the most popular queries and make sure like your conversion rate is actually improving over time. And of course, like those systems are not perfect. Um, customers still look at an analytics like to check the, the queries that are 
underperforming comparing to other queries and understand why. And that's a source of potential opportunities to iterate and improve the conversion rates. There are a lot of different reasons why a query can um, be under in underperformed compared to other queries. So sometimes it's because like customers are looking for a customer which is not in the catalog, for example. Mm which is a great business insight to decide what to do. Should they promote a banner to another product? Should they redirect it to something else or add the product in their catalog? It can be because of data quality issue that can be fixed by um, different systems, like adding a synonym by manual re-ranking or letting the AI handle the case. So there are a lot of different Um, ways to solve those problems and that's why in the biggest companies we see people dedicated to search engine most of the time this is the merchandising team that look at the quality the conversion rate and look at those insights from the search engine yeah basically the search engine tells you everything you know you get the uh, the demand from the market before you know that there is a demand and if you uh, deal with the data properly you're in the big advantage um, you also can in fact you're sourcing by that uh, and so on and so forth so uh, collecting this data uh, and making that data also accessible for other departments is definitely a plus here um, how they can deal with it and uh, increase the business performance in the end I'm interested in one thing because we had back in the days the discussions, um, you have to own your data, you have to understand your data versus, uh, let's call it an AI 360 hazelnut approach, which is out of the box and serves you everything. So um, many companies are actually pushing that AI topic and praising uh, the technology in search products uh, as a holy grail, let's call it like that. I think... Basically, it's nice, but in general, you have to understand the correlation of your data and next best activities, which are might be a result of the algorithm. What's your on, on uh, what's your view on the data segmentation and next best activities on the data, especially when it comes to search? Overall, AI is great, but it's still far from being perfect. So, I personally do not believe like in the end-to-end AI system that handle everything. It's just not the state of the arts we have in front of us today. There are many major issues uh, to delegate completely the search to an AI system. So pretty much AI is great to solve one small dedicated problem, like when we discuss about um, metadata extraction from images. This one, if you have a dedicated thing you want to extract, you can build the AI model. Mm. You can build an AI model to analyze the user behavior and extract synonyms. This one is something we can do. We, it's something, for example, which is part of the Algolia product. We have a lot of small AI systems trying to do something very well. Um, in the near term, I think we, we will see more and more of those small AI systems that will solve one particular manual task that are part of the search engine. Then I think like we will see um, new ways to mix those end-to-end systems that, as I mentioned, sometimes can provide a wow effect on some queries that are very complex. 
um, that can only be uh, fixed via synonyms or semantic resources in a, in a keyword approach. But mixing those two approaches, like to get the best of both systems and, and mix the result between a, a traditional keyword search and an end-to-end -end AI system, I think is what will really change the game. Um, and it will need to have a way to mix the result that people can understand and, and can tune and, and have the control on top of it. Like if the mix is a no-pack solution that no one can tune, it won't work. But if developers can easily understand and tune this mix, I think we can have something very, very impressive in terms of quality and in terms of, again, having an impact on the conversion rate. Super cool insights. So we learned a lot today about how search technologies are actually acting, what are uh, the trends in, in the search technology and different uh, capabilities of the tech stack. We learned a lot about Algolia as a company, how you grow that, how your role was changing. And basically, we come also to the end uh, of our episode today. Um, with a closing question, we always like to ask our uh, guests here. So what technology trends do you see actually and do you observe in the industry and how they will affect us in the future? One of the major trends I see is what the analysts call composable application, which is not really something totally new. Like the core concept is the same than SOAs, um, same than REST APIs, same than microservices and serverless. But there is something new. Um, and it's the, the new thing is that it touches every software in the world. It's not anymore reserved to very complex application or the one uh, where you have a, a massive and big engineering team. I see those approaches being used pretty much everywhere, even for internal application, as I was mentioning before in, in enterprises. And although it reflects like the, the, the fact we have more and more API-first companies to build an intermediate layers that you don't have to design. Previously, you have to design like all the different parts of your system, all the different services. You have more and more services available today which I think will be something very different um, because I think for the first time since um, probably uh, Heroku was introduced, we will be able to simplify again software development with, the, with all the services we have in cloud provider, like just selecting a database is, is today a nightmare. Like you have 20 different databases and you need to analyze the pro and cons of each of them. I think with API-first companies, again, we will be able to simplify software development. That's why I think this composable application trend is something that will, will have a big impact in the future to simplify software development and make it, make it fast to develop a software. Yeah, and also you uh, stay flexible with your tech stack. You know, uh, the composable applications or composable commerce enables you in the end just to replace your, I don't know, CRM system recommendation or whatever you would like to call um, 
to another one and then you can just take that what you need for your special purpose building up a kind of best of breed infrastructure focus on what's important meaning the customer uh, journey in the front end and just in quotes uh, orchestrate the apis uh, but we don't have to underestimate it because uh, orchestrating those APIs for uh, unique uh, user experience is also uh, a thing which you have to tackle um, and is an ch upcoming challenge in that composable applications or composable architecture here. Super cool. Yeah, we're coming to the end. So, Julia, I'm very thrilled uh, about our conversation. I would like to thank you really for that deep insights. Um, dear listeners, stay tuned to the next episodes. If you would like to have a look at a really cool search engine, give Algolia a look and uh, see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Catch the Tornado podcast. Make sure you subscribe us on your favorite channel. See you next time.